Hey, what's up? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host, of course, Canucks insider Thomas Strantz, also covering the team for the Athletic Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews, sore feet, what are you waiting for? 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your thoughts in now. Drancer, what's going on, man? Not much, bud. It's uh, a much shorter interval between shows than usual for us. I feel like yeah. we just got off the air. Yeah, but you know, that's just a challenge. We'll rise to it. Don't don't get in your head about it, man. We, not, we got... I didn't say it was in my head about it. Yeah, I, Settle down. I over can there. tell I can Settle feel down. I can feel the anxiety. Like if you were if you were a um in an anime, you'd have like the anxiety noodles coming coming from your body, streaming from your body. You know, just just like well, let's we'll we'll be led like Fiona Shaw across the ice patch in uh, the latest episode of True Detective and uh, mm, and figure it all wow. out. A very up to date reference for you, <laughs> right? I watched it this morning. Yeah. It's great. Uh, somebody texts in though. <laughs> I don't like this. Where's the energy, Jamie? That's the weakest what's up I've heard. I don't care for that. I will say that I got to get back on it. The Clearly. heavier the heavier you hit the what's up out the gate, the more I like it. You know, like, because you know me, me, I'm, I'm, I'm rolling it. at 50, 50, yes, yes. Uh, 50% at least of your what's ups. But when you hit it like Robin Williams, um, <laughs> then I'm into it. I have to, a lot of times I have to like back well off away from the mic to make sure I don't, right. you know what I mean? <laughs> Pop and blow everyone's ears out. Or to make sure your voice doesn't crack. <laughs> the same, Yeah, exactly. The same texter says, Jamie, well, you, gotta, you gotta meet pressure with pressure. This is a back-to-back. It's a good way of looking at it. <laughs> well, That's what Rick Talkett would say. Schedule loss at Canucks Talk. <laughs> <laughs> schedule loss, indeed. Uh, Alright, it is uh, Canucks Talk here. Lots coming up on the show. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox and uh, yeah it'll be a bit of a different edition of the whiteboard but uh, we will start the show as we do every day with the whiteboard all right now fellas hey let's focus up huh uh it is your daily deep dive into what's up with the Canucks for today January 16th starting with the headlines and yeah as I mentioned we were on the air not that long ago Canucks haven't played a game. Canucks traveled home. They're not skating today, so skating today. So not much has changed uh, as your Vancouver Canucks are home. Really, it's just they're back home. They're going to start a five-game homestand here going into the All-Star break with a very favorable schedule, a chance to strengthen their lead in the Pacific Division, although I should note the Kings and the Golden Knights both won last night, but that adds a little more uh, urgency for the Canucks to make the most of this stretch before the All-Star break and put themselves in the best possible position in the standings. That's what I'm that's how I'm viewing this upcoming stretch of five games at home here. Yeah, I mean it's time to make hay, right? You've got Absolutely. Arizona, you've yep. got Toronto. Uh, you know, not, th- honestly, those are the toughest games they've got on this mm-hmm. slate, right? Because mm-hmm. then it's Blackhawks, you got the Without Blues Bedard. in there. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Jason Dickinson, by the way, getting the big contract Jason extension. Dickinson, two-year, 4.5. I love that the Blackhawks are man. just like, the salary cap is fake until we have to pay Bedard. So the next two years, hey, Foligno, Jason Dickinson, what do you guys want? Name your price. Come on down. Yeah, I do think there were more creative ways to like leverage that space. It's probably true. For value, to be totally honest with you. I mean, remember... Uh, Last year, I was sort of joking about how they should sign Alex Kalorn for one times 12, <laughs> right? And with the idea that sort of 
you get Kalorn to play with Bedard, but then you also get to shop Kalorn at six million. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, and then just do it again. Like, I, I would rather see them target higher end guys with wild AAVs. Right. Than you know? the, than than inflating the Jason Dickinson tier AAV. Right. Like just to get him to stay. Like yeah. especially if you're gonna offer Jason Dickinson four and a half, like why not monetize him at the deadline as like a good three C who's played really well. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's teams that pro- you could probably get a second round pick for that. Yep. And then it's not like if you gum to him on July first and offer him four and a half, he's you're not gonna be the highest bidder. That's yeah. what I, that's what I sort of don't understand. If we were if we were a Chicago Blackhawks podcast, I'd be <laughs> you'd be absolutely hammering them. I'd be like, I, I don't say, think they're using cap space n- right. Not to spend too much time on the Blackhawks here, I think their their plans for the season probably got a little bit derailed, right, with the Taylor Hall injury, the oh. Corey Perry situation. Now Bedard's out. They, Jason they, Dickinson's like literally their best forward in the they, lineup. They right trade now. for Anthony Beauvillier. Beauvillier gets hurt. Yeah, so I think there's probably an element of sorry, that's all star forward Jason Dickinson. Yes, you. like we just can't have less talent than we currently do. You know what I mean? I think that's probably entered into the calculation for them. Just as a like an organizational directive, <laughs> this is as low as the talent level can go. We, we, yeah, we, we, we knew it was going to be a long build, but we didn't think we'd have less talent than San Jose. Yeah, and that, there they are. <laughs> uh, so anyways, not a lot of headline stuff. I mean, the Canucks did make a roster move. We'll discuss that in the lineup and uh, roster notes section of the whiteboard, but uh, not a lot of big headlines concerning the Vancouver Canucks right now. There is some rumor stuff to dig into, uh, courtesy of our friend Rick Dollywall from Donnie and Dolly. And of course, Don and Rick will join us tomorrow on the crossover in the broadsheet section of the whiteboard here. A bit of just a roundup of news and notes from Rick Dollywall on Donnie and Dolly today. And, you know, a few of the interesting things talks about the interest in Jake Gensel and one of the things he mentions is you know the decision the Canucks will have to make and you know Rick also says look this is the time now that that Eastern road trip is done there's going to be some really intense meetings and a lot of conversation between the Canucks front office the coaches the scouts all of that as they try to decide what to do one of the things on the agenda is going to be okay let's say Jake Gensel is available which is still a hypothetical we don't know let's say he is available would he be a pure rental, or is there a way they could possibly keep him long term? And even if you're not just looking at that question in regard to Jake Gensel, but just in general, right, the the debate between a rental versus a player with some term versus a player that you might want to sign long term, right, because that could apply to, you know, Elias Lindholm, that could apply to Chris Tanev, that could apply to a bunch of other players on the trade market, it really illustrates what a fascinating position the Canucks are in with the team playing as well as it is, right? Clear need in the top six, but also so many UFAs and two really, really complicated and high-priced RFAs in Elias Pettersson and Philip Ronick. So if you're trying to plan, okay, is this guy a pure rental or can we sign him long-term? What does that look like? How many resources do we have available to play with going into next year? That's a really difficult thing for the Canucks to do right now and a really difficult question to answer, I think, uh, at this point of the calendar. It, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating moment that this team finds themselves in, right, where their form has ticked up so significantly, like so materially over the last 10 games or so, especially the last seven, like mm-hmm. especially on this last road trip, that, you know, should it continue, you've got the sort of baseline that can prevent – you know, what What I still see is some inevitable regression in terms of the team's shooting percentage, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, I don't know if you saw uh, Dom LeCision wrote an article about cup favorites today. Yep. 
I did. And pointed out that if you remove Miller, Besser, and Pedersen from the sample, the Canucks forwards are still shooting um, 12.3%, right? So it's like, even if you're making the, sh the like, well, you can't... The historically great finishers on the Canucks make the difference. Like, okay, we'll remove them, and you're still a historically yeah, good so finishing like team. Sam Lafferty, yeah. he had another one in Buffalo, yeah, right? You're, you're, <laughs> st you're still like two percentage points ahead what anyone's managed large yeah. sample, right? So, you know, but but you can offset that if you're controlling play the way that this team has over the last 10 games, right? Mm -hmm. There's a reason why when we talk about teams that are, you know uh, – getting bounces, high PDOs and stuff. We don't we we focus less on the teams that are really really good getting those bounces because we know that they have probably have a baseline to offset it. For much of the year the Canucks played like a, or performed like a team that might not, but the last 10, now you're looking at it thinking, okay, this is a team that's actually controlling play, actually profiling in some ways like a contender. Can they maintain that? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. You've still got some time to make your decision. And you know, I, I know Rutherford's MO is to act quickly, but given the volatility of this team generally, right? Because here's the other thing to note. It's not like we've never seen this team perform exceptionally well for even protracted stretches, right? Whether it's the Boudreaux sure. bump, whether it was like the second half of the lockout, or uh, sorry, the pandemic abbreviated season, yep. whether it was 19-20, uh, both in the bubble and in the first three months of the year, four months of the year. Like, they went in the All-Star break in first in 2019-20, sent three guys to the All-Star game. I mean, it wasn't this dramatic. It wasn't 80s Oilers stuff, but it was certainly impressive, mm -hmm. right? We've seen we've seen this team crush it in, in protracted for protracted stretches. Maintaining that over 82 has always sort of been the challenge now. Maintaining or getting off to a start like this in the first half matters more than finishing the year like this, right? Like that matters a lot more and changes the circumstance. But if I was the Canucks, honestly, especially with how things have shaken out, you, you have some cushion at the top of the Pacific. Some of your opponents are getting injured. Um, you know, in fact, most of them now have a, <laughs> have a significant yep. injury somewhere in the lineup. You're relatively healthy. Like I, I'd be pretty tempted, honestly, to get as much information as I can, right, about my team, about the rest of the West before really parting with significant assets. Well, and I think this next stretch of five games is going to be huge for that, right? You you have, you know, you get to tinker with the lineup a little bit, maybe try yeah. some different things out, see what you have, or at least gather more data in that second line and how much of a problem is that for you? Can you keep the lotto line together? Is that the optimal version? Like, this is the perfect opportunity, right? With these next five games, come home, lots of rest, yeah. lots of time to practice. Not condensed. All of that, exactly, yep. right? Good point. This is your perfect opportunity to try those things, think about those things, and kind of... It's not the final chance to take stock, but it's a really, really good chance to take stock and decide, okay, what do we need, right? And that that's what we need for this season, and that also maybe is, you know, on a player like Gensel, like, would they be a fit long-term for right. us as well, right? It, and it is a hard – the other the, – the one thing that's hard, though, about it, right? The, the one thing that's hard about this next five-game stretch is, you know, you're home, these teams aren't super formidable, right? Like, the hard question, the hardest question in my mind – is not, are the Canucks, you know, one of the 10 best teams in the league? I think they probably are, mm -hmm. right? I think the hardest question is, are they one of the top two teams in their own division? Mm. That's like where the rubber meets the road for me, right? Um, and where the rubber will meet the road almost surely for this team come playoff time. 
And and that's one thing that you can't test until after the deadline because the way that the schedule shakes loose, the Canucks face the Kings like what four times, three of them after the deadline. Yep. They face the Golden Knights three more times after the deadline. Yep. Like you know, they have Edmonton once and I think it's right after the deadline, like five days after the deadline. So you'd have to double check that, but that's in my head where 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 the last head to head between the Oilers and the Canucks lies. So you're not gonna you're not gonna get a chance to test your team against the teams that it really matters how you measure up against them until after the deadline. That's gonna be something of a leap of faith. Although a leap of faith made an awful lot easier to take based off of how this team's performed on balance this season in terms of winning games and on actual form over the last 10. A uh, couple of other notes from uh, Rick Dollywall on Donnie and Dolly today, you know, mentions, and this is kind of classic pre-trade deadline stuff, right? Where, you know, mentions, oh, you know, LeCaramacchi and Volander, they're not, <laughs> wouldn't be keen on giving them up, which, you know, of course, teams are not yet generally keen on giving up their top prospects. Does mention a kind of that second tier of prospects and includes names like Pod Colson and Ratu that they would be more open to moving uh, in the right situation. It also says not keen on moving Niels Hoaglander. And one reason is given the uncertainty around their UFAs, given the OEL buyout, there's a recognition that they're going to need cheap talent in the upcoming years. Yeah. Of course, Hoaglander on, uh, I think just over a million dollars for next year as well. Part of that also part of this rumor roundup uh, team, not looking to move Tyler Myers at all, even though he's a pending unrestricted free agent, and of course, making $6 million on the salary cap. Very happy with the role he's playing. I mean, we talked about Myers yesterday. It's hard not to be extremely happy with the performance you're getting out of him. And you look at the need on the right side, all of it, the role he plays, it would have to be to even consider it. It would have to be part of a major, major kind of blockbuster deal where a replacement and an upgrade is coming in. Well, I also think the team feels that they have a real advantage having six foot six Zadorov, six foot seven Myers, six foot four Carson mm -hmm. Susi all trotted out there, especially given that when they, you know, go with their top pair who like notably, for example, holding that lead late in Buffalo, it's Myers and Zadorov out there or yep. Myers and Cole or Myers and Susi like, for the most part, Hironic and Hughes aren't killing games right now for this team. I, I think there's a real recognition, understanding, belief that the size of this blue line, right? The fact that the Canucks have built an army of ants on the back end <laughs> is an edge for them. Yeah, and clearly something that the the team has prioritized, going out to get Zadorov, mm. signing yeah. Susie in the summer, right? And Myers fits perfectly in that mold, uh, and they're obviously really happy with how he's playing. And just in general, and this ties in to Tyler Myers, last thing from Rick Dollywall simply says the team not in a rush to deal with their UFAs. And that's interesting because obviously the pressure of making a decision on a UFA before the deadline, that's kind of out the window with the way the team is playing, right? Like it's not like, oh boy, we have to sign, we have to trade Tyler Myers if we don't think he's going to sign with us, right? Because mm. even if you don't think he's going to sign with you, you need him for the playoffs, well, right? And there's value in holding a guy for the playoffs. When exactly. There, when there's not value, it's an easy decision. And, exactly, right? And we got to give Rutherford and company credit. They've been pretty disciplined about mm -hmm. it. Like, they've monetized everyone of value before their expiry who they didn't intend to keep with the exception of, like, maybe Kyle Burroughs. You could have gotten, like, a sixth. Yeah. And even then, I don't know how much, like, I don't know how much, I'm not criticizing them for leaving value on the table there given the far larger track record of like Mott went, yeah. Horvat went, Shen, Shen went. Yeah. And those were those were the right calls the day they, they, they happened. Um and so they they did show real discipline on that, which also I think should afford them additional latitude. Mm -hmm. Right? Now that the circumstances are entirely yeah. different. We're to, we're used to this 
time of year being an inflection point for UFAs. Yep. And just with the team in the spot it's in, in the standings, it's not no, anymore. Not right? You, you wait to make those decisions down the road. Now, I do think the other interesting thing is it's very – they're in a position where they can afford to be patient with their UFAs. They don't have to make those decisions. It would also be very, very difficult to make those decisions given the uncertainty around Pedersen and Hronik. 100%. Right? So that feeds into this uh, in a big way as well. Yeah, and, and let's just note one last thing. It's obviously difficult when you're dealing with this many expiring guys, especially when the Canucks have so many expiring guys who are pr- providing – Massive surplus value, not just like mm. surplus value, but like massive surplus value. Yeah. Right? Dakota Joshua, Teddy Bluger, go on down the list. Yeah. Casey DeSmith, oh. we, don't, we don't talk about, but like the value he's well, given them from the backup slot. But would you say he's providing surplus value over $2.75 million? It's a pretty high AAV for, for a, a backup. Yeah. You know, he's played well. He's I, meeting I, it. I'm, I'm really not. He's, he's, he's meeting it and maybe more. But yeah. like, you know, it, it, I mean... Mark Andre Fleury, as an example, is a three and a half million dollar goalie. Like by the time you're in that like super, mm-hmm. like uh, a platoon one B kind of guy, that's like a three and a half million dollar player, right? So, uh, you know, he's in and around that realm, and he's provided good value for that. He performed well, but surplus value, I, I don't know. Like Cole and Cole would be an example to me of a guy who's provided surplus value. Sure. In that, you know, I think he's for for the most part given this team like fringe top four impact. At $3 million. That's yeah. like a... Bluger, for sure, with the way his offensive contributions well, have come. Especially with that Dickinson comparable. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Teddy Bluger is just, oh, yeah, let's go. Every third-line center in the league just like, yeah, let's... Um, no, so on the one hand, that's tough, right? And will be difficult to navigate beyond this season. Sam Lafferty. That's another mm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, one thing to note is there's flexibility, too, from having so few commitments, right? There, there is, you know, meaningful ability to weather certain losses. Uh, it's daunting to step back up to the slot machine, I guess, and 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 pull the one arm bandit. Given, you know, the fact that the Canucks hit jackpot like multiple right. times in a row this yeah. summer, but you do have the ability to spin the wheel a few more times. And and given this team's success, it's not gambler's fallacy, right? This isn't. They're not. No, there's because there's actual skill behind it. Yeah, they're they're not just playing a luck based. <laughs> you game. can actually affect the process. And and you know even when things were going poorly for them last year, like twelve months ago, right? There were still signs that they were finding pretty good value. I, I mean, even Kuzmenko mm-hmm. pulled out of the KHL would be an example of just like non traditional route to finding impact guys. That's that's been something they've done consistently, whether the teams performed or not. Uh, lineup notes for the Canucks made a couple of small roster moves here. Mark Friedman assigned to Abbotsford on a conditioning stint. Linus Carlson just assigned to Abbotsford. So worth noting, Mark Friedman hasn't played since November 30th. Now with Carson Soucy back and healthy, we're seeing Noah Juleson rotate in and out of the lineup. You know, Friedman clearly eighth on the depth chart on the blue line, very crowded for minutes. So he goes down. We'll get a chance to play for Abbotsford. Abby plays tonight and tomorrow at home. Carlson move. Uh, we'll see if it's permanent or just, you know, if he does come back up, but it opens up a roster spot and it opens up, you know, will the next call up when the team next needs somebody? We'll see when that is uh, at forward. Will it be Carlson or will it be somebody else is kind of the question here. Yeah. We also should note, like, this is something the Canucks have done pretty regularly, right? Where when you're at home, you carry a man, you don't carry a full roster and then you carry a full roster mm-hmm. when you go on the road yep. uh, so that you have reinforcements. I mean, that's been sort of their MO. And, and, you know, in, in a 
in a world in the future, hopefully, should you should you get fortune, should you get lucky enough to get out of LTI, right? So after like Pullman and company expire, yeah, um, and this team's able to get LTI, this could be like a real weapon for the team, right? So you've got two more years of of um, Pullman, right? Currently, you have Brisebois also on LTI and Philip DiGiuseppe, but that sort of reflects the team's overall cap situation. If the just one more year after this year of pooling. Sorry, yeah. uh, this year and the next. Yeah, that's yeah. what I meant. Two okay. years. Um, once you get out of that, this ability to shuttle guys up and down will actually benefit you in allowing you to like gain more cap space as the year goes along and buy more aggressively at the deadline. I mean, if this team can get out of LTI and be like ascendant for a two or three year period, this is where Abbotsford can pay real dividends, yeah. like be a real ad- advantage for the Canucks cap West. And even now it's, you know, an advantage to, Hey, get these guys some minutes who need minutes, right? And it's easy to do. And they're still on hand and close by uh, while you're at home here, if you need to recall them in any way. So, you know, I saw a lot of people, of course, anytime there's a roster move and there's as much trade speculation as there is around the Canucks right now, it's like, Oh, is this the precursor to a trade? And Hey, you never know. But uh, I think this is just a, a, an opportunity to get a couple of guys who haven't played a lot, some minutes down in Abbotsford while the team has a couple of days off here before their next game on Thursday. Thursday against the Arizona Coyotes playoff forecast. We didn't update it after the Blue Jackets game last night. No surprise. I mean, one point on the road, it's not going to change things too much here. So of course they're a 99% chance to make the playoffs still still projected to finish with 108 points tied for second in the Western conference in terms of a projection uh, with the Colorado avalanche. I think the, the Jets still at 111-point projection, pacing the NHL, which is very, very impressive, uh, down to a 53% chance to win the Pacific. Slight drop there. Uh, the Kings and the Golden Knights both won last night, so their odds tick up a little bit. Edmonton still in second place, most likely to win the division at 22%. And I should note... This is, uh, of course, Dom Lucision's model we're referencing here. And Dom with a article up at The Athletic today looking at all of the potential Stanley Cup contenders, why they could go on a run, their potential flaws. Uh, and he does include the Canucks and has some high praise for the Canucks as well. So the villain, Dom Lucision, coming around and offering some praise to the Canucks at I mean, The Athletics today. He, Athletic today. It's worth remembering, though, Dom Lucision, despite being, you know, despite ranking Quinn Hughes a little too low, uh, in his player <laughs> rankings, was way higher than market on the Canucks, right? Like, his his model had the Canucks at a 53% shot of making mm-hmm. the playoffs, whereas the the market price, if you wanted to bet them to make the playoffs prior to the year, was plus 140, which is like a 40% shot. So he was pretty aggro about this team being better um, than people expected. I just, I just like to note that I in, in defending my buddy. Um no, no real chance. Like, the Canucks game on Thursday is not listed yet against the Arizona Coyotes, mm-hmm. gambling-wise. Um, their futures odds to win the Pacific tick down ever so slightly. They're, you know, plus 100 in some places, minus money, uh, like minus 110s, sort of the the most favorable from a, from a fan of the team perspective, least favor- favorable from a gambler's perspective, but... Um, sort of where they're the most heavily favorited. Uh, they were up to like minus 120, minus 130 before Vegas and LA won. So so likewise, just like a infinitesimal sort of tick down there. And then futures odds-wise, they remain, you know, tied. Thatcher Demko remains tied for the Vesna favorite with Connor Hellebuck. Rick Tockett remains the prohibitive Jack Adams favorite at plus 185, a number that hasn't moved in a while. Uh, you'd think at some point he'll go into minus money and become like a really prohibitive favorite, but I, I guess the market's still tracking Laviolette and Tortorella yeah. as as real possibilities. I got to think uh, Rick Bonus 
get some buzz here at some point as well with what the Jets are doing. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know why that yeah. hasn't th- – those numbers just have not seemed to adjust. And, in fact, bonus is like 16-1. to 1. Uh, <laughs> That seems like a pretty good buy-low opportunity given that they're in first place in the NHL. Yeah, interesting take. I, I don't think you're wrong. There's also, you know, the, the games that he missed dealing with a, a family mm-hmm. illness, right? Um, bonus is a really likable guy. Yeah. That team's been a great story. And, and yeah, you know what? That's an interesting one. I, I like that. I, I also think uh, the coach coming in to coach against the Canucks on Thursday, Andre yep. Tourigny, is um, is fourteen to one, and and you could see him maybe getting in the mix. Anyway, this club continues to employ the Norris favorite, tied for the Vesna favorite, the Jack Adams favorite. So pretty yep. good. Things are still sunny in Vancouver, yeah, at least until tonight. <laughs> that is the whiteboard for January 16th. Keep your texts coming in. Uh, we will take a break here. Matt Marchese from the Fan 590 in Toronto. Uh, you hear him on the Jeff Merrick Show every day here. He'll join us next. We'll let his view of the Canucks look ahead a little bit to the Leafs game on Saturday as well. The Leafs going through Western Canada playing the Oilers tonight. So we'll talk to Maddie about that. That's coming up next here. Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650.